Well, Happy New Year's Eve to everybody. How's everybody doing? All right, there we go. There we go. A little, got me a little nervous there at first. No one was doing well, but it might turn out to be okay. Good, good. Well, I'm so glad you guys are here today. We are so glad to, to be worshiping with you today. I want to welcome our LaGrange campus and those watching online. Uh, many of you were here with us last week as we celebrated Christmas Eve, and it was a great service. Didn't our creative artist team do a great job last week? Didn't they? Yeah. Great job. Great service. You weren't able to be here this last week. We're glad you're here with us today as we, as we kick off this new year and take a look at what God has in store for us as we move forward. You know, um, college football is about to kick off really big, isn't it? I mean, yeah, there's been some games, but like the really, really good games are tomorrow. And I might be rooting for somebody. I don't know. Just going to throw that out there. But there's some good games tomorrow. Everybody's excited about it. So, so men... You can stop pretending you don't like watching Hallmark movies with your wives now because college football is back on. It, it, it's fine. It's fine. Some of those Hallmark movies aren't all that bad. I'm, I must admit, Angie and I have been binge watching on When Calls to Heart here over the last uh, week or so. And, uh, but what's not like to, to like about Monty Jack, right? I mean, he's a Monty. He carries a gun. He, he, it's good stuff. So it's going to have a good day. We're going to have a good time celebrating with each other. And I'm so glad you all are here with us today as we move forward. Today is also the last day of 2017. And it's crazy to believe that today is the last day of 2017. So today, you get to use that expression way too much of, hey, see you next year. So when you see somebody, make sure you remind them to see you next year, because unless you see them tomorrow, you know, it's going to be a great time. Hey, um, but as we look over this, and as we move forward from this year going into next year, I want to take a look back with you just at some things that have happened this past year. I think sometimes we forget what all happens within the course of a year. So I have some pictures I just want to walk through, kind of jog your memory on 2017. Well, we started 2017, one of the first things we did was we inaugurated a new president. And so Donald Trump was sworn into office uh, back in January of 2017. And then in February, a big event happened. There was a Super Bowl, and the, the Patriots won that game. Um, I know it's too soon for many of you. Yes, but the Patriots won that football game, and so that happened then. Uh, another thing that happened, many of you noticed uh, there was a giraffe that gave birth. Uh, April the giraffe. Uh, for, for a month, many of you were glued to a computer monitor waiting to see when, when this giraffe was going to give birth. And I almost became experts on giraffe this is crazy. Absolutely insane. Uh, then we also had a lot of activity this year with hurricanes. We had Harvey, Irma, Jose, Maria had a lot of really intense hurricanes and a lot of them traveled over the same path, a lot of destruction. People still trying to get over all of that where they are. Uh, then we had the solar eclipse. Y'all remember that? It was about five minutes. Everybody left work, went outside with cereal boxes, or maybe they had some of those glasses you couldn't see out of. And, and we all looked at the solar eclipse and thought, ah, oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then finally, one of the biggest things in the news here lately is these wildfires in California and just thousands and thousands of acres being destroyed, people losing lives, homes, and just there's a lot that's been going on in 2017. Well, at Southcrest, we've had a lot going on this year as well. You know, looking at information and numbers, uh, since January of this year, we had 134 salvations at Southcrest. Uh, that's, yes, that's a great number. We should be proud of that. And then with that, we had 120 baptisms this year. And I, I just want to share with you, yes, let's celebrate that too. I want to share with you, when those two numbers are that close, I, I know we're doing things right. When, when pretty much people are getting saved, they're following Christ in baptism, they're following through and walking as God's shown them. 
we're, we're teaching things right. I mean, we had 29 students at Beach Week get saved this year. And so that's just an amazing thing. Uh, if you've never been part of Beach Week, I would encourage you guys to, to be part of that. It's a great time for our, our students. And then something near and dear to my heart are the Grange campus got a permanent facility at Easter of this year. And so we're very excited about that. I guarantee you there's a lot of clapping right now in the Grange for that one. <clears throat> um, we don't have to set up and tear down anymore. Uh, it's gotten so bad that we had to take like some parking signs out in the morning. We complain about, oh, we got to set up again. But it's nothing like we used to do. And so we're so glad that that's over with. And then finally, we wrapped up this year by providing Christmas to 78 families representing 254 children all across Troop and Coweta counties. And so I want to thank you for your generosity. I want to thank you for what you've done as a church. It's been a great year. You know, on a personal note, this year's been very busy for my family. As many of you, our family is a busy family, but, but this year our oldest daughter, Joe, turned 15. So we've entered that learning how to drive phase. And so it's, it's been exciting and it's been challenging. As a matter of fact, she just finished taking her Joshua Law class yesterday. Nothing says Christmas break like attending 30 hours of school. You know, it was really great. She loved it. Um, as a matter of fact, apparently there was only uh, one person who got a perfect score on their exam uh, for Joshua Law, and that would be my Joe. Not that I'm bragging, but I'm bragging. So um, very excited for her and what she accomplished there. But we can't wait for her to turn 16 now because then she'll be able to drive and help us with our busyness. Now, now busyness is not always bad. Don't get me wrong. But the problem with being busy is there's an opportunity to miss what's really important. And so today I want to help slow things down so we can, can catch something that I believe is very important. Now, some of you may be like me. You may enjoy reading a book. Uh, I actually still enjoy reading books that open with paper inside of them. I, I haven't gotten into the whole, like, e-books yet. I like the traditional book. I like every once in a while I get the paper cut when you're turning the page. You know, the, just the, the goodness, the smell of a good book. And so I enjoy a good book. Actually, Mr. T once said this. If you can't read, the only thing you can do is enjoy the pictures, not the whole story. Reading is the key to knowledge. Knowledge is the key to understanding. So read on, young man. Read on, young lady. Now, if I may paraphrase what Mr. T was saying, he was just simply saying this. I pity the fool who don't read. So that's for free there for you. But uh, some people like to read the last chapter of the book first. Um, to see how it ends, to determine whether or not they actually want to read the book. And um, I don't understand that um, because we don't just read books for the ending. We read them for the journey all along the way. And, and sometimes when you don't have that journey there, you don't understand the ending at all or it has no real value to it because you don't understand what it's referring to. And I believe scripture is the same way. I believe scripture is important, but I believe sometimes in scripture, we don't even read the ending of the book. But so seeing as today, this is the last day of the year, I want to spend some time with you, and I thought it appropriate to focus on the last book of the Bible and the last chapter of that book of the Bible. So we're going to be in Revelation 22 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there, flip there, you know, you know get your phone on that page. But let me give you a little background first. Um, in Greek, the title of this book is Apocalypsis, which simply means that which is being uncovered. And so pastors, if you've heard a sermon from Revelation, it's usually from chapters two and three when they refer to the letters to the seven churches. But anything after that, we usually don't get into because for most of us, Revelation is not a revelation at all. It's a bunch of prophecy. It seems mystic, hard to grasp. And so we tend to avoid the book of Revelation. But I believe God put it there for a purpose. You see, 
John, the Apostle John, wrote this book when he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And he wrote this book because God wants to give us a glimpse, give a glimpse to his church, give a glimpse to his people, give a glimpse to what's coming up and, and, and what's going to be looking like. I mean, we have this new heaven and, and this new earth coming about where there is no crying, there's no tears, there's no pain. There's just joy to be with God. And so he wants to open that to us and do that for us. So why did he want to reveal so much to us in this last book? Why do you think he went into this great detail and and started sharing about this? I I think we find the answer as we look through the New Testament. We see in Hebrews 1 that the author refers to living in the last days. We, We read in Hebrews 9 that we're in the end of the ages. In Acts 2, it says the last days began at Pentecost. You see, we are actually on the last lap of human history. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not somebody who's real big into uh, eschatology. I'm not big into studying the end times and like, oh, because this happened in Israel, he's coming now, and because of this. You'll find that's not what this is about. What this is about is understanding where we are in history. You see, however long this lap lasts in our human perspective, we don't know. But on God's calendar, when Jesus wakes up in the morning and says, hey, God, what's on the calendar for today? And they look at it, their calendar, the second coming of Christ, is near. You see, we need to understand this because we, we need to understand that the words of Jesus' revelation are not measured by human chronology, but by events in the timetable of God's redemption of mankind. You see, we seldom understand God's timing. And that's okay because we seldom understand our own timing. Today is the last day of 2017. And for some of you, when I said that, you thought back for a minute, it was like, man, this year has flown by. And for others of you in this room, you sat there and thought, man, this year has taken forever to get through. We don't understand time that much. But one thing we do agree on is that keeping track of time has always been important. That we enjoy keeping track of time. Throughout history, people have needed to track time. And so when man was first around, we we did it based on nature. We track time by days. The sun's up, the sun's down. That's a, that's a piece of time right there. We can track that. Or, or we look at the cycles of the moon. And we track time by the cycles of the moon. I mean, all of us wonder why Easter's never the same day every year. It actually is. It's the first Sunday after the third full moon. We still use that for some of our, our dating. But then there came this need to track time within a day. Like, it's great. I just don't want to do things day by day. I, I want to get several things done within a day. How do I keep track of that? And so we invented the sundial or, or the hourglass. Many of you, when you were little, you went to the dentist and they gave you a little hourglass and they flip it over, you brush your teeth until that runs out. And so we learned ways to keep track of intervals in time. And throughout history, people added to, as technology improved, they added to ways we kept track of time. And then in the year 1656, a Dutch mathematician and astronomer named Christian Hudgens made a turning point in time telling and invented the modern clock. You see, he determined the mathematical formula that related a pendulum length to, which is actually about 39.1 inches, that revolution to be one second. And so he mathematically calculated what one second of time would look like on a pendulum. And thus he created the Hudgens clock. Now, many of you have seen a modern version of the Hudgens clock when you look at a grandfather clock. They're about 18 inches wide. And 39.1 inches goes one way and back, and that's one second. And that's a pendulum clock. As a matter of fact, all of our modern time-telling devices use oscillation to tell time. 
the moment it takes from one thing to go back and forth. Even your digital watches, they have little things in there that oscillate back and forth. And you count that and they give you time. And so time has been important to us. As a matter of fact, time's always been important in scripture. We read in Galatians where it says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Time is extremely important. has a big impact on history. And so all the promises that God gave were fulfilled in Christ Jesus and set in motion. And that's what we want to look at today. You see, only the second coming remains. And so if you look with me in Revelation 22, we're going to start chapter 10. I mean, verse 10, sorry. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy. And the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. So in verse 10, we see this command of the book must be kept opened because the end is near. You see, in the book of Daniel, we see something different. If any of you have studied the Old Testament, read the book of Daniel, most of us are familiar with Daniel in the lion's den or even the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But after that, it gets into end time prophecy. He begins reciting things about the end times. But when he was revealed all that, he was told to seal that, to keep it a secret, to keep it hidden until the one worthy of opening the seal would come. And so we see that hidden until Jesus comes. And Jesus, as we know, is the one worthy of opening the seal. He opened the seal and set into place the end times. Because all the redemptive works have ever been done that God needed to get done have happened except for the second coming. Jesus has set everything in motion. And so we find here the writer saying, look, we want people to be aware of this. We want them to know what's happening. This is not a secret anymore. The one who is worthy has been there. We, we are on this last lap. We are in the end times. But then we see something very weird as a Christian. We see him say, hey, let those who are unrighteous and filthy stay that way. Let those who do wrong continue to do wrong. And that goes against everything we've ever been taught at church, right? We're, we've been taught to, to not let people stay that way, to go share the gospel with them, to, to reach out to people. And we struggle with this concept of letting people be where they are. But I believe the writing here goes back to kind of what we've read about in the Old Testament when it talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, that there's a sin that cannot be forgiven. You see, the reason the Bible mentions that is that there's people who choose to deny God no matter what the situation. There's people who hate God. And we'll do everything they can to, to avoid him completely. And God's what he's saying here is those people are going to be them. I've called you to live lives obedient to me, and they've chosen to live lives disobedient to me. And that's not on you. We all realize that we can't save people, right? We don't have that power to save someone else. It's a choice they have to make. And so while we're encouraged, the very next thing encourages those who are righteous to can you live righteous to grow in their holiness. You see, that's what we're called to do. And when we do that, the people who are unrighteous sometimes see that and say, that's the better way, I want to do that. But it's nothing that we can do. And so God's saying, you need to focus in on the end and begin to prepare yourself. We cannot force people to have that relationship. And we also can't think that a dead or disobedient faith will save us. You see, our faith must be living and growing. There's only two options in the world. Either you're growing or you're dying. There is no in-between. And oftentimes we get confused and think we're okay just being there. But God's called us to grow in him, to, to walk in him. And then he continues in verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. 
the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. You see, Alpha and Omega in the Greek alphabet are the first and last letters. It is the beginning and the end. You see, the reference that Christ makes to remind us that he was there at the beginning of time. John, as you know, wrote this book, but he also wrote the Gospel of John. And the very first words in that book say this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we see this reference to the beginning. It stands as a bold reminder to God's ultimate authority and sovereignty. And then he blesses those who were sought after him and those who have submitted to his authority. Now, we don't like that word submit because we don't understand what submission is. But when you understand what biblical submission is, you understand it's not enslavement, but it's, it's worshiping and choosing to follow someone because they're worthy of that. College football is about to crank up the big games and many people are fans of a team because they are worthy of their fandom. They are worthy. They have played well. They deserve that. The teams playing the top four deserve to be there. They're worthy of that. When you understand that kind of submission, then you can say, that's how I want to see myself with God because he's worthy of all praise. He's worthy of all honor. He's worthy of all glory. And so I can happily submit to him. But then we see him shutting out those who are unrighteous. He shuts out those who won't come to him because sin separates us from God. It always has. And sin is not like you and I like to think about sin. We like to put weight on sin. You notice that? Well, that's a big sin and that's a little sin. It's okay. I'm closer to God because I don't sin as much as that person. Sin separates us from God completely. And in God's economy, there is no difference in sin. There's no little sins and big sins. There's sin. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that if you're guilty of breaking one point of the law, you're guilty of breaking all of it. So in other words, when you commit one little sin, in God's eyes, you've just committed every sin that ever was. You're guilty of all of it. That's what separates us from him. There is no middle place or condition. You're either for him or you're against him. But for those who are for him, for those who have come into the city gate, he says, I want to bless you and I'll make all things new because I'm the bright morning star. The mornings when we start everything fresh and anew. And he says, I want to be there. I want to help you start everything over on the right foot. And then verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears says, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which is described in this book. So we see the word come mentioned three times. You see, everyone is invited to come and join. The invitation for salvation is open to everyone. Not everyone will accept it, but it's open to everyone. 
to come and partake freely of the promises of God, the privileges of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, come to Christ for salvation. Come and share our happiness. And just in case anyone should hesitate, or if anyone's lacking that, that willpower to do it, he says the water of life is free. It doesn't cost you anything. You just freely to come and take of the water of life. Just please come. But then there's a warning. And this warning is very interesting in Scripture because he says no one is to add or take away from the book of this prophecy. And I would submit to you today that that, that warning goes beyond just the book of the prophecy but goes to include all of Scripture. That no one should add or take away from it. And the reason I believe that is we see it over and over in the New Testament. Most of the New Testament books were written by Paul, but we also see letters from Peter and James where they're writing to the early church and they're saying the same thing. You see, the early church, what would happen is one of them would go and they'd start this church and then they'd go start another church. And as soon as they would leave, people would rise up who would either come in and say, no, no, you've got to follow all these rules or they'd come and say, no, no, you don't actually have to do that. They're, that's all technical stuff. You don't have to worry about it. So they'd either water down the church or make it legalistic. But we know very clearly what Jesus said. He said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so these people would come to add to that. You gotta follow Jesus and, no. You gotta follow Jesus, but no. You can't add or take away from the books of life. God said, here's the law. It's real simple. I am the way, the truth. And anyone who messes with that either waters down or makes it legalistic, and I'm not interested in that. And so there's a warning to all of us to stay away from that because there is no other way. And then he closes out the last two verses. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So after revealing everything to all the people on the earth, he steps away. And he leaves us for a while. He kind of takes leave of us as he prepares to come again. Now, we go about our daily lives and we're tried by our, our daily tasks. We have difficulties that surround us and there, there's pressures and they're saying that, that put down on us and beat us down. And it's easy for us to become discouraged. But we should always keep hope and take pleasure in the fact that we know he's coming again to receive us to himself. And he says, behold, I am coming quickly. He says, I come to put an end to all that suffering and pain. I come to put an end to your toil and your strife. I come to put an end into sorrow. I'm here. But while I'm on my way, my grace is with you. And my grace is sufficient. You see, we can't do it on our own. Our enemy is strong, but our God is stronger. So how do the last words apply to us today? How do, how do these last words affect our daily living? In other words, when you walk out of here today, how does reading in Revelation 22 gonna change who you are and how you live your life day to day? When you and I look back on 2017, we'll find ourselves in one of two categories. We will either sit with a group of people and be like, what just happened? Or we'll be with a group of people that said, look at all we accomplished this year. You see, that, that first group lives a very reactive lifestyle. They're, they're people who circumstances basically determine their life. They make a decision just to stay afloat. 
You see, they're not trying to win a life that wins. They're just trying to live a life that doesn't lose. And so they're just doing enough. And when a situation happens, they make a decision, then they make another decision based on another circumstance. And it's kind of like a person who's in the ocean just getting beaten back and forth by the waves, never really making any progress, just kind of struggling through. But the other group of people are people who are determined, who have set their eyes on their maker, who have plans, who want to fulfill God's purpose in their life. And circumstances come and go, and it doesn't bother them. As a matter of fact, these people Satan hates. And he even throws more at them, but they stay the course because they fly on wings of eagles because their God steps in and his grace is sufficient for them. They will succeed. You know, I remember when I decided to teach and coach my daughter in soccer. I played soccer my whole life. I started at the age of five, played all the way through college. And when Joe, my oldest, she she turned five, we were like, let's go ahead and sign up for soccer and, and let's start doing this. And so I just want to share with you, there is a big difference between college soccer and coaching four and five-year-olds. It's, wow, I, I struggled. It was, it was hard. I mean, I spent most practices and games, like, like there's no hugging in soccer. There's no place for cartwheels in soccer. Yeah, yes, I see the butterfly, but, but there goes the ball. See it? See it over there, the ball? Hey, can you please stop picking flowers? We're going to play soccer now, okay? I, I tell you, it, it drove me crazy. I about lost my mind. It was hard. And I coached four kids through that. But I can tell you this, as hard as it was, now when I look back at the two that still play, there's great satisfaction. As I see my children on the field, as they dribble and pass, as they shoot, as they work with their teammates and support each other without hugging them, as they go up to them and help coach them, hey, you need to be over here for this play. There's great pride knowing that I helped them get to that point and I stayed the course. There's also great pride in the fact that I got to spend time with my kids, that I was able to be with them and hang out with them as they learned this together with me. You see, the things that matter in our life aren't always the easiest to do, but they're worth it. They're worth it. And that's what God wants for us. See, the good news is it doesn't matter how you lived in 2017. Not a bit. Today is the end of this year. Tomorrow, it's a new day. It's a new year. Tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life. Each of us in 2018 can can start everything new because he is the bright morning star. He is with us. You know, how do we want to look at the end of 2018? Uh, many of you have already made your resolutions. I know many of you are gonna start getting fit and healthy. You've already got your, your diet lined up. You uh, got your whole 30 thing lined out. Everything's bought, ready to go. Maybe you're gonna go no carb. You know, maybe you're gonna join a gym. Maybe that's what you, hey, I'm gonna join a gym. I, I'm gonna be with you. My healthy lifestyle is about to begin. I just have to finish off those two boxes of Twinkies I got for Christmas. As soon as that's done, I'm going to get healthy again, right? But maybe spiritually we want to grow too. Maybe this year we want to get one of those reading plans where we read through the book of the Bible, read through the Bible in one year. Or maybe this is the year we want to memorize more scripture. Maybe this is the year we're going to go on a mission trip. So we we have these goals and setting these goals is great things. And God wants to get us through there. And, And that last verse of scripture says, my grace will be with you. As you go to accomplish this, I will be with you. Now, I want to share a little secret with you. 
Actually, it's more of a prerequisite than a secret, but it's, it's found in the book of Matthew, and it tells us pretty much when the end time will come. He says this in Matthew 24, And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Did you catch that? Once all nations hear, the end will come. It doesn't matter what happens in Israel. It doesn't matter what happens anywhere else. What matters is do people know about Jesus? And when people know about Jesus, then I'm coming back, not before then. You see, one of my favorite quotes I hear pastors say all the time, and I love it, is pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you. Wouldn't that be an incredible goal for 2018? My goal for 2018 is to be an instrument that God would use to help further his gospel so that all nations would know about him so he could come again. That's my goal. Imagine if all the Christians in the world picked it as their goal, he'd come back before New Year's next year. Would all have heard. What a great way to make a goal. Now, can you imagine what your lives would look like, though, if, if, if we knew you were living in the end times? If you really grasped that and accepted the fact that, hey, I'm living in the end times. John Wesley was once asked that question. He was asked, what would you do the following day if you knew Jesus was in return? Apparently, he pulled out his diary, took a few minutes, looked at it, closed it, looked back at the person and said, I would do precisely as I've always planned. Living in preparation of the Lord's coming is the way of wisdom. You know, C.S. Lewis is one of the greatest apologists who have ever lived. And during his time, he, he wrote a wonderful children's book series called The Chronicles of Narnia. And the last book in that series is called The Last Battle. And here's how he ends that last book of his, of his series. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for this is the end of all the stories. And we can truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I believe this is a picture that John is painting in Revelation. That this life we live is merely the cover and the title page. That when we come to be with him, whether he comes again or we die, that this can be said, that then at last will begin chapter one of the greatest story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. You see, this is our hope. This is why we can live in anticipation when, when Christ says to follow me. Because we know he's worth following because he's coming back to, for us. You know, today's message should bring you hope. It should bring you joy. Because if you have a relationship with him, then you know exactly what this means. But for some of you in the room today, this message leaves you confused. How does this apply to me? I don't get any of this. I heard it once say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Truer words can never be spoken. You see, it doesn't matter whether you come to church or not. It doesn't matter if your grandma loves Jesus. It doesn't matter what you may or may not have done. The only thing that matters is do you know him? And catch this, and are you known by him? Do you have a relationship with him? 
See, I know who Michael Jordan is, but Michael Jordan has no clue who I am. It's not a relationship. But I can stand here today and confidently tell you I know who Jesus Christ is and Jesus knows who I am. And I want to invite you into that hope today if you've not had that hope before. I want you to invite you to have that relationship today if you've not had that relationship. If you want that peace of mind that comes from knowing that I'm good because I'm his, I want to invite you to that today. You see, he stands at the door of your heart and he's knocking. And all you have to do is open the door and let him in. What better day than today?